0: Hey guys, welcome back to Toons Toons podcast. Uh, Doing a special episode today from Contempt Cons. Shout out to Luke Atkinson for the hookup. Got us in, uh, what is it, the big dance hall? Small dance hall? sounds really, it sounds like a saloon. The big dance dance hall. hall. (laughs) It's the biggest dance hall. The biggest dance hall I've ever seen. Uh, No, but he, uh, you know, he works for Oklahoma Contemporary. They're having uh, this convention this week and i think it's going to be this is the first one right
1: yeah first one and they're first hoping to do one. it
0: every year here in uh, april i think yes and so uh shout out to him for letting us uh, come out and do a panel and uh, kind of letting us do our own thing he uh, reached out to me and was just like hey come come hang and you guys can do an episode here if you want so that was cool uh, but yeah uh why don't we do a roll call real quick we'll just go down line here
1: and uh, right. shout yourself out Hi, uh, everyone. I'm Caleb Masters. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Cinemetropolis.com and I host the Cinematropolis podcast, The Cinematic Schematic. And I'm real excited to talk about anime with you again, Harold. I mean, you have me on my first show, and you bring me back for some reason. You talk about <laughs> Digimon versus Pokemon, and now you're, like, back to talk about anime movies? like, holy crap.
0: It's just what? the natural progression of it, and especially if I was talking to... And that's kind of the whole vibe behind this episode is, like, the film aspect of it. I feel like you guys all have uh, you know very uh like film is very important to you
2: mm-hmm. and
0: so uh, I know like some of my other guests probably would be into it, but I think you guys just have like that that deeper level and like you really get into the weeds and and are really like into like the details of the stuff and so that's why I wanted to bring out some uh, some of my peeps from the cinema trop
1: Oh thanks yeah I'm <laughs> super happy to be here super happy to be at the first content con uh, saying hi to my mom in the back over there hey hey, hey mom. hey. How's hi. It going? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's yeah, a great time. Thanks for uh, having me on, Harold. Yeah, definitely.
2: Hi, my name is Alexandra <laughs> Bohannon. I also do podcasting on cinematropolis.com on the Cinematic Schematic Podcast. Um, I have a segment on there called Soundtrack, which is all about film scores. And um, we have actually, now that I realize this, um, so we have only had, what is it, four four regular episodes so far. Yeah, four um,
0: um,
2: With a couple special and what's-its every once in a while. <laughs> but one of my earliest picks on uh, film score was doing Nausicaä and the Valley of the Wind. Oh, I actually okay. have that, um, like a hard copy import of that album it's one of my prized possessions it's really good and that music is fantastic
1: have you ever heard that thing uncompressed oh Uh, it's so so
2: good it sounds amazing (laughs) i should definitely let you guys uh listen and not illegally steal it
0: for sure it's worth (laughs) a (laughs) torrent
2: but yes uh that's what i do and that's who i am and uh Big big shout out for uh, my previous store manager in the back. He just he just wanted to show up and hang out. I appreciate it. Oh, his, me with the yeah. glasses. Yeah. What up, yeah. boy? Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? Hey. Yeah. So, we definitely uh, we have like a core group of nerds that follow us around. So, that's me.
3: I am Daniel Bocamper. I previously contributed to the Satoshi Cone episode with Harold a few weeks months back maybe. Uh, so I'm probably just going to re-recite or recite that episode verbatim. <laughs> just, regurgi- just regurgitate yeah. it. In fact, this is
1: all just taken from that
3: episode. You're <laughs> actually spliced exactly together. Part right He's now, actually wow. not even here. <laughs> but uh, I uh, contribute to the Cinematropolis um, alongside Caleb and Alexandria. I also uh, contribute to World Literature Today and WickedHorror.com. for Dude, you're different
2: mediums. Lit Today. Yep. Shut up. Just that's just amazing. that's yeah. amazing. That's, yeah. a, big, that's a big boy. Yes, a Time's uh-huh. pretty
3: valuable, so if we could just like...
2: <laughs> oh yeah, hashtag. have got to get Daniel
0: uh, out of here. He's yeah. got yeah. he's got moves to make in, the, in these is, streets. Yeah,
2: yeah. I actually used to work next to World Lit today in uh, the Carl Albert Center in graduate oh, cool. school. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So fun stuff.
0: No, definitely, and yeah, it's just it. I think you all bring such a different thing to the table. Just, I think it just goes back to like our our personal tastes in film, and so that was the other reason, you know, kind of bringing you out and you know wanting to discuss you know maybe one or two or a few of our favorite films and kind of getting into why those kind of stick out to us um as you guys know you've been on the show before like that's kind of the whole point behind my show is that um you know we really want to get into why these things have stuck out to us why are these things so important to us and uh you know just kind of some of the deeper themes in that and so yeah uh with that i guess we'll just start with caleb like uh we kind of talked about what you wanted to what film you wanted to feature, so get right into it.
1: There's a a lot of great anime films out there, like almost infinite number, so it's hard to choose, but I've actually talked about it on your show before. I I decided to go with Summer Wars because I just want to spread the gospel of Summer Wars. (laughs) Uh, It's a great movie I love that I feel like no one talks about, except for people who've seen it, and then they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, all like 20 of them. Uh, It's from the director uh, Mamoru uh, Hosoda. He he also directed The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Wolf Children, and The Beast and His Boy. Shout out to Wolf Children. Wolf Children is a good film. Uh, but the, the reason I, the, the, one of the reasons, many reasons it clicked with me was because that same director, way back in the day, before he was making feature-length films, made Digimon movies. Of course. Yes. Yeah.
0: Just
2: can, uh, constantly, His whole life revolves around their shit. Like, Blame like the it best all is listen,
1: listen, it all goes back. It all my, my anime taste can all be traced back through a tree to the Digimon. Digimon, so.
3: the roots. Uh, the like Digimon. Why are you compelled by Digimon?
1: Because it's the superior children's anime, okay. like better than Yu-Gi-Oh, better yes. than uh, Pokemon for sure, How? better than Beyblade. Oh, oh boy, Let's oh, is it better than Beyblades. You need <laughs> to <out. laughs> <laughs> I
2: thought he was gonna call you.
3: Yeah, Beyblade. Yeah, I thought he was gonna call you out for Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, don't out, throw but. shade on Beyblades. Better than you, Monster. Or no, or no, it's better. better than Battle Tops. Yeah. Better yeah. than Battle
1: Tops with yeah. the holograms that have the the souls trapped inside. Yes. Oh. Also better than. I forgot about that. Yeah. Hold on, don't forget. It's also better. Better than Metaboth, which is basically the same
3: show oh, as Babe yeah. Way. Okay. Better than Monster Rancher? Are, are Digimon not tomag- you like Tamagotchis with souls trapped inside though? No. Isn't that no, there? Okay, no. what are they? No, no, I
2: okay. always thought that too. Kalen no, no, so so has sent me straight okay. a okay. number so of So the
1: Digivice is the device they have that allows them to traverse the digital world. Uh, it's, the, like the Digimon, it's like a GPS. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Because okay. it, it, sometimes it is a GPS whenever they need it to be. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but. The the Digimon are partners. They are born of eggs in the digital world, and they evolve based on like... So usually most of them evolve to what's called their rookie stage, which is like their second stage. Beyond that, you have to either kill other Digimon and take their data, or you have Digimon partners who help you digivolve, like without killing a bunch of things. Uh, So the thing is the Digimon all have their own personalities, and they're autonomous. Versus Pokemon, which are animals trapped inside balls forced to, to dogfight for the, for all eternity. Okay. And they and they are there uh, from a plot perspective, they help their characters their their characters fulfill their arcs. So and find themselves, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah.
2: Can't Digimon also like speak using like yes. language like Human languages. Yes,
1: they all speak. Sometimes with really obnoxious not just voices. Meow. It's not. It, not yes. Yeah, not just Meowth, one. That's right. It's not Pika, Pika, <laughs> Pikachu. I don't hear Agumon saying Agu Agu Agumon. No, none of that. None of that nonsense. They are autonomous. They can talk. Uh, the characters in the show, yeah. unlike Ash Ketchum, who's forever still not the Pokemon champion. Did you really say ass Ketchum? Ash Ketchum? That's like I, mean, I heard you Ash. say. Ash Ketchum. Did Ash Did Ash Ketchum. <laughs> so. Anyway, he catches him with his ass, right? I, I mean, basically. His butt right between his butt cheeks. That's the only, I mean, that, that, that would explain why he's not the Pokemon champion after like
3: 20-some-odd years of, of, of trying
1: to win. Uh, yeah. Some so, things are more
3: important than the champion, first of all. But, but, okay. And I have seen quite a bit of Digimon, at least the first three seasons. What always is curious to me is that it seems like they end up, like, yielding whenever they get, you know, materialized or whenever they make their way into the real world. Not even just the the antagonistic Digimon, but also it seems like the protagonists seem to like cause this mass havoc uh, in well, yeah. the real world. it's, okay. like, a, it's like a kaiju thing. I don't really thing. see that too often in like Pokemon well, or Beyblades. Well, so but, you know, I the, the first know time, the-, well, <laughs> the,
1: the, the bad Digimon usually incite the violence, and okay. then like a good Power Rangers mech showing up also destroying the city to stop the other thing destroying the city, and then they they destroy more of the city together because that's how oh, it okay. goes. Kaiju. All right, yeah. It is kind of you, yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, Summer Wars... So. Yeah, so... <laughs> so, uh, uh, Mamoru Soda directed the second part of the... I think actually the first and second Digimon parts of the Digimon movie. Now, in Japan, uh, the Digimon movie that we got in the U.S. was actually three separate yeah. movies that were all spliced together, and it was it a was brick. But the second part... Was really good, was always my favorite part. It's where the Digi-Dust and Digimon go onto the internet and they have to stop this like virus that's like launching nukes, mm-hmm. uh, that, like it's gonna launch nukes and destroy the planet. Well, I just also gave you the plot of Summer Wars. The basic uh, premise of Summer Wars is like, hey, uh, there's no, it's not Digimon or anything like that, but all the, there's basically this one giant thing on the internet. I can't remember what it's called. It's like a A game everyone plays, Mm -hmm. and everyone's got their own personal avatars that they use. Not Digimon, they don't have partners or anything like that, but they all go on this and they they, uh, fight each other to win money and all sorts of things. Like the entire world's infrastructure is built. It's very similar to uh, Sword Art Online or uh, Ready Player. As I was saying, Ready Player One. Yeah, Yeah.
2: except it doesn't transcend into VR, if I remember correctly. They just are like sitting at a computer, and like the most dramatic sequence is this. You know, pe- Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone's yeah. huddled around like this, you know, yeah. Windows ninety eight yeah. computer. Right.
1: Like. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, Windows ninety eight, the big box screens yeah, and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Uh, and then of course, like the thing you see in the films, like their imagination of how it looks like it's exactly. going on, but it's really just people at a computer typing away and stuff. So, um, but the thing, I, it's so basically, Summer Wars is a superior version of that film. I still think it's a solid little Digimon adventure, but but it's it's got it's fleshed out the. There's a lot more emphasis on family dynamics. The whole film's about real human. <laughs> Unlike Ready Player One, which I feel dropped the ball hor- horribly about saying, hey, maybe you should learn how to love your friends and family in the real world. This film both shows you how cool the internet is, but also how dangerous it is, and, uh, and reinforces the idea that family is very important um, to, to the, the battles we face every single day. Um, and I don't want to give away too much more, but like, like it's one of those, like it really rang true to me because I'm like, oh man... It's about people coming together to fight evil via the internet and in a mostly nonviolent way. They weren't even fighting another human enemy. It was just a virus that was created by some sort of military complex or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Visually spectacular. It's got all the whimsy of anime and I feel like it's got a really solid message um, that people can can take home. Uh, Yeah, it's really fun. I just want more people to watch it.
0: Well, and even like the uh, the Digimon movie ends up being uh, one of the superior ones is what uh, Caleb said, because one of the cool things about it is that they are actually able to get uh, licensed
1: music. It's true. So they that was pretty dope, too. They had right? a really good Bare soundtrack. Naked Ladies
3: was in that one. It
1: was. Like, we the kids uh, in America. Were the kids in America. That was the first time I heard that song. To this day. <laughs> Did you, Mom? To, the, to this day, anytime <laughs> I hear that song, I'll stop and listen to the whole song. doesn't matter who's playing it. I'll listen.
3: That's funny. Good. <laughs> I do think some like modern films do take... Uh, not just anime, but it's weird because Summer Wars is a bit older, right? It's like it's, early two thousands. Uh, yeah, or late I want to say 90s. it's like
1: two thousand ten or so. Oh,
3: it's, not, it, it's, it's not. It's, it's not super X. old. Yeah. It, okay. it's it's two thousand tens. believe. Yeah. I remember it looked a lot like the Digimon film, but I think it's it, yeah. Regular. Even visually, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, the Girl Who Left Through Time, yep. which is another one I caught recently. Yep. But the it, it's kind of an antiquated notion. We don't accept technology. You know, we want to preserve family, but only in the most traditional of senses, which is what I picked up from like Ready Player One. Whereas technology is, it can be toxic at times, but it's also a, a joiner. I think the toxicity comes more from people just using it. So too does the more you know, positive and beneficial thing. So cool that a film actually pushes for that over you know, what we tend to see with like Tomorrowland and Ready Player One. Right, and, right. Know, a few other modern Americans. Well, and
1: there's, there's a lot of films. I think, I think I'm really glad you brought up uh, Tomorrowland. because That's a film, the, the message and the values that movie is projecting I think are really beautiful and sweet. Mm-hmm. But man, does it just fun, totally fundle, fundamentally fumble the ball yeah. on delivery? Because it feels like you're just getting slapped over the head with a message. A good one that I agree with that more movies should, mm-hmm. I think, uh, incorporate into, into, their, into their stories. But like, it just kind of renders the whole thing pointless because then you're like, oh, I just feel like I got lectured yeah. by someone I agree with, but it was still a lecture. You Very know? dogmatic yeah. in that sense. Versus yeah. Summer Wars, which I think, and this director in particular, I think there's a really, really good job, just grade A storytelling, incorporating these. Same, similar notions in a way that actually fits organically within the characters and the story and the world they exist in.
0: Yeah, didn't um, did the same guy that did Iron Giant do Tomorrowland? Brad Bird.
1: Brad says, Bird. Yeah, Is that who it was? Yeah, mm-hmm. also Mission Impossible Four and the Incredibles. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Incredibles. Yeah, nice. Yeah, he's also doing the second one right around the corner. Classic. Yeah, those are
0: all classic films as well in their own right. So shout Bird's, out to those.
1: Brad Bird's brilliant. <laughs> Not anime, but very anime inspired. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I. I, I I knew that that was like a passion point for you, especially with like the Civil Wars Digimon parallel there, and so it's always interesting
1: to me when you yeah. see filmmakers who who tell the same stories over and over again, but it gets better every time they tell it. you know there's some directors that are really good at that, not that not that his other films are just rehashes of the Digimon movie, but it's interesting you say I remember seeing it I remember when I watched it the first time, I said, "This is a lot like that movie that I also really liked, yeah. and then I go back and I'm like, oh, it's this and it looks the same. Then, oh my God, it's the same guy. Well, what made him? Did he feel like he just didn't deliver the first time? Like, what makes him want to basically tell a more fleshed out, larger, yeah. more robust? He may story? have
0: just, you know, just from the natural progression of the story, thought of things that would maybe fit a little bit more cohesively to advance the plot. So he's like, well, you know, like there was a good core here, but maybe if I can go back and kind of add on here, right, it'll make it more of a robust story. I don't know. I mean. We're all speculating, so we don't... Of course, of course. <laughs> There's no way to have... know, I guess, but... <laughs>
1: but, there are, but there are directors that do that. Mm-hmm. And Miyazaki even... Yeah. Get very, he, gets very, he doesn't quite do it, but he gets right. very close. I mean, like, yeah. Nausicaä
3: and Princess uh, Mononoke, yeah. Mononoke are are not... I'm, I would yeah. almost say near identical. Like, they, I mean, yeah. they're different in a lot of ways. But, they are. But yeah. so he's um, very
0: much into those themes, though. Yeah. When you think about it, like, it's, you know, very much a... Uh, a man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self. Like, there's... Well, the those, self-destructive
1: nature Yeah,
0: of and those are all, like, very... Those are all very, like, prevalent in his... In, like, the narrative and his stories. Like, they're all very visually stunning and, like, they look great. But, you know, on the... In, like, the details of it, you can kind of see, like, those themes mm-hmm. whenever you actually look at, like, what's actually happening. And so I think that's kind of where his... Where he kind of, like, lives and that's, like, he's, like, grew... Like, built in his niche there. But yeah, I mean, definitely, I, I agree. And, uh, but Alexander, I was going to say, what was you, uh, I was aside, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, oh, no,
1: no, no, Caleb always good. has like, other things to talk about. I always about. have other things to say. I just want to say, I, 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 I'm I glad that we, we had, a we, in, our, in our conversation laying up, I was glad we all established we weren't going to talk about a Ghibli film. That way we can sprinkle it in versus like just gush on Ghibli films oh, the whole yeah. time. Because right. it's yeah. so easy to do. That just goes I mean, what saying,
2: yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe we could go around at the end and be like, favorite Ghibli film and why? Or something spicy like that, I don't know. Spicy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so did you have another? No, no. Oh, okay, cool. I couldn't help. Um, so uh, let's see. The film I wanted to actually bring to everyone's attention is directed by Makoto Shinkai, um, and it's called Garden of Words. Um, you might know Makoto Shinkai from other more prominent works. I mean, they're all pretty well-known at this point. Five Centimeters Per Second, and, of course, Your Name, which rose to huge... Uh, popularity in the United States and, of course, in Japan. I saw that. Is there, like, some statistic of, like, how it it broke some crazy records in their box office yeah, when I it, think was h- think it was released? It like, the, the highest number, grossing. Yeah. Highest grossing, yeah. Um, so it's but like it's also, um, I find, so this director, he's really, really skilled, and I feel like when we get to your name, that's, like, at the peak, and I feel like he was kind of finding his voice and finding his, what he had to say. Um, Caleb and I have talked about how uh, the film, all of his films, can feel a little bit dr- uh, melodramatic at points. In ways that can be for good or ill. But your name, I think, he fully synthesizes how to incorporate the melodrama without it being really like heavy-handed and just like just whack you over the head with it a little bit. Um, Garden of Words um, has, like, a teaspoon at, like, one specific point, and when you're there, you're like, okay, that's what it is, and then, but we move on from it. Um, That film is one, I'd say it's one of my favorites is because it's beautifully animated, um, it's just gorgeous. And it's, I sent it to a friend of mine who, uh, like, I just sent a trailer to him. And he lived in Japan for a few years. And he's like, Oh, I can't watch this because it makes me homesick because, like, homesick for Japan because right. of just how beautiful and, like, and how it looked like the bus stops and how it looked like the train station and, like, the rain and the rainy season and in summer. And, you know, he's like, Even the apartments you know, like, they looked like the apartment. Yeah, Uh yeah. And, of course, you know, obviously, the director, he is Japanese. He lives in Japan, so he's got that unlocked. But in terms of being able to elicit a mood from, like, someone that hasn't even watched the story or know anything of what it's about, you know, it's like, you know, oh, that's, he really understands my perspective of Japan.
0: He, like, really is able to incorporate kind of, like, a a slice of life kind of
2: Yeah, very slice of life, at least for Garden of Words. It's it kind of, it really builds to this this one plot point, which, I mean, I went into it not knowing a whole lot about it besides the fact that there's a man and a woman that sit at this one bus station only when it rains. And, like, that's all I knew going in. That's all you really need to know going in. Um, but once you learn, it's like, okay, why are these two different people from very different backgrounds sitting at this one specific bus station only when it rains? And why, like, why is this a thing? And why... Are they acting the way they do? And they he peels back the layers of the story one little hint at a time to the point when you get like the big reveal. It just like punches you in the face of like why it like basically it's the through line that makes everything make sense. And it's like shit. That's
3: it's yeah. really good. It almost reminds me of like Hemingway's prose. Or- yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something. yeah. They, they
0: dance all around it, and then at yeah. the very end, yeah. you come back and connect it all, and you're like, yep, fuck, you're I don't like, not
2: see <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. And you just. It's like the clues were there the entire time. Shinkai's
1: and, really good at doing that exactly. in his films. Where he just and that's brilliant storytelling where you you plant the seeds throughout, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not that it's hidden, but it's just like you don't know what to look yeah. for. And then yeah. bam. You don't know what you're looking at. The fact yeah. that
2: the audience is given all the tools needed to understand the full story at, like you know pretty midway through, and then whenever it fully synthesizes, it's just like you know it's pretty powerful, mm-hmm. and and it's nice because it's like. It's not so in a heavy-handed way where you can, like, predict what's going to happen. Um, Of course, like, I mean, I actually watched it while it was raining. It was just
0: perfect. Like, it was just...
2: It's it's so beautiful. (laughs) Like, the, the rain looks like... I mean, it's, like, hard to say that, you know, this animated film looks, it has, like, looks like real rain, but it's, like, how rain feels, like, in your brain when you're, like, imagining what it, like, the smell after a rain or, like, how it looks when you're, like, splashing in a puddle, just, like, that all those images are conveyed so skillfully and beautifully in that film, um, yeah, I'm actually going to go home and probably watch Your Name tonight. I'm just going to say, just
3: I'm a little unlearned, I've only caught Your Name, but yeah. that, the film you mentioned previously, it was was it Five Centimeters? or Yeah,
2: Five Centimeters. Okay,
3: that one I was curious about, but it, with Your Name, just knowing nothing about the director, he was so good at just injecting... It helps both pacing, but also just fulfillment in that it Mm -hmm. never really seems dry. You're always discovering something new, yet there's still so much to chew. Right. Just in the, you know, just the individual acts of the film and the
2: movements. And with your name, your name also, like, your name has a little more of a linear plot and like a drive, but it Mm -hmm. also has that big through line of the punch in the face moment. You're like, oh, shit
1: yeah but but, but, but y- 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 your name's brilliant because it does that halfway through the movie it does. and then you're like what the heck is this movie even about anymore which yeah. is where or how which can not even it, move it on it's so you, you knew the whole time
0: and then it was just like a changing point right there yeah yeah, yeah.
2: It, it really is like i mean i actually just watched vertigo recently uh H- hitchcock's vertigo um again and it really is almost like a vertigo moment where it's like oh, hey, we're going to do something that totally changes every piece of conception you thought this movie was about, and then you're going to question the entire time what else it can be to unfold, and then it yet still goes, and beautifully and wonderfully done. And then uh, so many times where it's just like, you're you know the rug the rug gets pulled out from under you like so many times like in the way that's like devastating but you need that as like a good story for storytelling purposes um uh, man uh markers man it's so <laughs> markers man <laughs> just uh yeah what do
0: you think like the, the the time in which you first saw that movie was like impactful to you or what, yeah, what do you think draws it Draws that back to, like, top of your memory.
2: Um, In terms of uh, Garden of Words? Or yeah, Gordon? Garden of Words. Garden of Words, yeah. I mean, I honestly saw it fairly recently oh, because, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I've been wanting to see it for probably the past couple of years, though. But it's just, like, I tried to find it on, like, Amazon. And, like, I saw it on Amazon. And, like, I pulled it up. But it wasn't, like, available to stream at the time or even rent. And so because of that, I, like, just... Like I worked at a video store for a while and it's like, okay, we only ever get new copies of that movie in and it's like I wanna rent it just to know if I wanna buy it or not and then eventually I just broke down and you rented took it anyway. I'm just not, like
1: it's worth the blind. It was buy. worth
2: it. It was worth it. Like <laughs> so totally. Like if you see a blue I got it on Blu-ray, totally worth if you um get it on Blu-ray, you will not be upset at your purchase at all so but yeah i it was a it was a good film and it definitely leaves you very emotional by the end of it it's very feelsy yeah so
1: i haven't seen garden of words but the other two films cause I have seen five your centimeters name. per second in your name any single frame you can take from and i know his other works like this too you can take basically any single frame or shot of the movie and frame it like yeah it's, it's a all plotter. art it's, just, yeah. it's, it's, it's beautiful it's stunning
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's very much like a. Uh, I think we've talked about that Daniel, like every frame of painting, um, and that's very much like Satoshi Kon's vibe, kind of yeah. the transition into. Uh, I may have a good idea of what you're going to talk about, but right. maybe not exactly. But I mean, it's uh, going to
3: be verbatim. So <laughs> <laughs> well, Satoshi
0: Kon, he's very much, and you know, we've seen that theme through like the movies that we've talked about so far. Is well, that it's they are visually stunning. They look good. Like the animations, like very much. Uh, inspired by traditional anime, mm-hmm. but some of the deeper story and like plot points are something different that you probably haven't seen, like since or before. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
3: and I think salient enough to where it does, like, especially with Cone's work. It's not it, it's within the realm of anime, of course, but then it, it goes on to influence Nolan and influence Aronofsky, um, mm-hmm. just very directly. But uh, on that note of of what Caleb had mentioned about a kind of a reiteration of theme or almost the same story in a way but, but refined and, and made better in some way or different, uh, so too does Cohn do that. In his, um, he's always looking at both reality and fantasy and imagination and our perception and how fluid those things ultimately are. In a number of different ways, I mean, you, you look at a film, and, and one I'd like to bring to everyone's attention, when we were discussing our podcast previously, I think we focused on Paprika and Paranoia Agent predominantly, but I would say Millennium Actress, in that sense, would be the, uh, the film I'd like to emphasize, in which a uh, documentary crew follows a dying actress, and, and basically she's been retired for 20 years, but she was one of, uh, fictional, but one of Japan's most prolific uh, character actors, and uh, to follow her life and realize that that everything she's done has just been this, you know, acting. And her film career was just to facilitate the quest to find this person that she doesn't really even know what they are. And that briefly, momentarily, they're represented by this key that they left here, and um, that has, in a way, impacted her reality. And, and in that film, you see, and, and through its editing and its transitions, there's there's a couple sequences in particular. Some of which kind of harken back to like Akira Kurosawa's uh, Macbeth mm-hmm. adaptation, Throne of Blood. Uh, but then you could also argue that like Akiru and, and um, Rashomon kind of appear, but but he, he kind of takes that influence with him. But again, there's always just these crazy transitions. I can't stress enough watching the, uh, we mentioned every frame of painting being that, that YouTube channel uh, in which he examines... Cohn's work because it's so and he just focuses on transitions and and that's one of the most uh prevalent parts of his work is the fluidity you never realize when a scene has changed really you never um and and it's so hard i think that's something that animation specifically has has the luxury of doing you can you can try it you know with with live action and it can work well um, with something like uh you know i think of maybe like the original old boy or uh more recently like birdman uh perhaps or even the revenant had had moments like this but uh i don't know just cohen does it so brilliantly and so consistently and he's always reinforcing that theme i mean he starts with um i want to say millennium actress was his first film and it kind of just looks at how her you know the reality of her career has or maybe the fantasy of her career has infested what her the reality of her career was the main character uh, whereas when you get something more recent like Paparica, it, it it is about you know the the invasion of dreams into reality and and the, the convergence of those things. And his unfinished work was the Dream Machine, which was supposed to take entirely on the you know kind of the metaphysical realm. Of, um, go from there. I don't know if I'll ever actually see that film, unfortunately. Fingers crossed. But, right? Yeah, see, we'll see. see we enough open. of it's done to where they'll probably... <laughs> Finish it out. Maybe. But, like, Madhouse is the most... Which the studio who did virtually all of his films through, They uh, and Paranoia Gent, they're so lethargic. I mean, right now, if you wanted to buy... I think there is only one Blu-ray printing of Paranoia Gent. It's
0: probably innocent. It's like $350. Yeah, $350. 300 yeah and
3: it's a 13-episode... And i mean it comes with a lot of stuff but it's in high demand cool but and i think eventually they might be holding out to release a collection of his and hopefully with that collection we'll that see the awesome. pieces of yeah. dream machine that we never got to see but yeah. uh who knows maybe they're waiting to actually release it and yeah. then but well we weird. just keep going like
0: i we mentioned the uh, every frame of painting mm-hmm. and it's like very much like that stanley kubrick-esque yeah, because uh, I think Steven was the one that mentioned it when we did like the Cowboy Bebop episode. That mm-hmm. you feel like every, uh, and that's specifically to that show, is that you feel like it's so like well paced and like everything is there intentionally. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I think you see that in like the work of like people like Miyazaki, people like Satoshi Kon. Mm-hmm. You feel like it was like almost painstaking that they wanted to get every single thing. Right, yeah. and, and like every single thing that that made like the movie is there for a reason, mm-hmm. and so you could literally it was like what Caleb said you could take a still frame from any part of the movie and it's mm-hmm. and frame it,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. It's
0: because everything was so intentional in it. Yeah. I think maybe that's like why why it keeps it such on high recall because you you kind of
3: notice that quality there. Yeah, and there is a bit of in that same breath there is with both Miyazaki and Cone, there is. This controlled chaos that they both have. I think in Paprika yeah. you see the recurring image of this like crazy parade that yeah. marches through the bush, and it's just like it's animated like refrigerators, yeah, and, like frogs, like playing tubas and stuff. Yeah. Um, Miyazaki, of course, that that works its way into films like Spirit know I, Spirit Away that I think yeah. of immediately. Um, and, and so there is, I mean, with animation, everything is likely intentional for the most part, but um, it also plays into a bit of chaos, a bit of not knowing what it is. A bit of the ineffable, you know, trying... to
2: Yeah, it just reminds me about, like, the intentionality of animation. Um, I was listening to, uh, like, a podcast on the history of The Simpsons, specifically. I mean, it's still American animation. And apparently, in the early days of The Simpsons, uh, because Fox hadn't, you know, Fox was still not really a player, and The the Simpsons made Fox a network, basically. And uh, so whenever the studio, like, the... The, re- the executives were trying to, like, talk to, like, the animators and, uh, you know, uh, Matt Groening and all this stuff. And they are like, talking to him. It's like, okay, well, don't you need coverage of this and this and this? And they're like, no, that's not how animation works. Whenever you're having to a- draw everything out by hand, like, you have to be, like, 110% precise of, like, where our, quote, fictional camera, our, our you yeah. know, mise en scene is going to lend us whenever our frame ends us at a particular junction that is has has always been that junction we're supposed to unless something has gone wildly wrong and they had to you know go back in and draw like a connecting panel or something but it's always going to be you know like no you don't just need coverage like you do in traditional like live action film or television that's an interesting, interesting thing
0: to think about. Like, you yeah, know, no, you it's so early... cool.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think because you just you're just used to it's like it's like oh well we already got this set up. Why don't we get like you know 50 seconds of B roll of whatever or we turn the camera on early? But no, that's not how it like it's not how it could ever work. Everything I it's,
1: you know in the best animation I think everything is storyboarded ahead of time. Absolutely. You know? I mean, so oh
2: like, yeah, you can't not. <laughs> you
1: know, like I think that and that's one of the benefits of anime that that only a handful of like live action film directors can, can nail down, is being able to, with Stanley Kubrick, for example, in The Shining, the can has to be facing this way exactly. It can't yeah. be can't be crooked, it has to look exactly that way. You know, in animation, you just you draw can, it that way. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you just draw it that way, and if someone doesn't draw it that way, you, you know, as a director, whoever's their art director, stops and says, no, 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 this needs to be this way, and it's always that go away from the get-go, um, versus live action, where, like, most directors have an eye, they, have, they want a shot to look a certain way, but some directors, especially, aren't nearly as worried about those those details.
2: Yeah,
3: Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, And there's a a give and take, I mean, if you go too much. I mean, sometimes Kubrick, uh, as much as I love his films, it can feel quite a bit clinical.
2: Right, Uh, yes. You
3: know, where where I think I always like, uh, to reference, like Lars von Trier's method of filmmaking, he doesn't practice it, but what was it, Dogma 95 or Dogma 98? Have you heard of that? Yeah. It's, yeah, where you just let the scene be the scene and and you have a story to tell and, and we'll go from there. Or uh, finds
1: it, or or Terrence Malick, he find the movie in the editing room. Yeah, you know
3: who who is the director? I think it's maybe I don't want to say Nicholas Lay, but he did uh, Topsy Turvy and Mr. Turner more recently. Um, but he doesn't write his scripts like any of his dialogue. Like he has a film. Um, it's I cannot think of his name right now, but but last name Lay. But he he doesn't uh, write the film ahead of time. He just brings the actors on board and they talk about how they want the it just organically grows yeah i mean he knows like what i I would that yeah you have like (laughs) five moments like this has to happen and this has to happen
2: i mean that's more of like to me that sounds and feels like kind of more of a collaborative storytelling medium just like you would like Mm. a dungeons and dragons i mean of course you know you give your characters and like slasher actors rules you know you have to roll Mm. the dice or you have to be angling your body so the camera, will, you know, s- sees you in a certain way, mm-hmm. but, and you know your endpoints, like the DM or the director know your endpoints on how to get you to that place that they need to keep the story going, but they're also going to be open to the yeah. the juicy bits that each individual character or player brings to the table.
3: Mm-hmm. You forfeit a bit of agency.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. totally.
0: No, definitely, and it's, uh, I think a lot of it, maybe, uh, You know, you can kind of parallel it with reshooting the scenes. I mean, we probably would never know how many things were redrawn for some of these movies. Oh, sure. So that's kind of the parallel I guess you can make instead of reshooting a scene or changing something. Yeah. Having to redraw something is probably the closest thing that you could parallel as far as like animation versus like a live action setting
1: right and the thing about animation is it's done I mean like it could be months after oh, something's yeah. drawn before a director looks and says we need to go back and fix that one this whole scene this one thing in this one whole scene you know it, it could be months and months versus a film I mean there's a lot of stuff that's figured out in post which is why we have reshoots on films but generally a lot of it's decided on the set with, uh, with the director of photography with the director with the art director
0: that's true and uh, the interesting thing about storyboarding too is I think that probably happens in both Mediums, but it's just uh, it probably is a much more forgiving
1: me- medium. I had to, I'd have to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't have to don't have to spend hundred like, don't have to spend ten million dollars on reshoots to fly all your actors back out for yeah. like three yeah. days.
2: But I mean, it's like the it's time versus money because it's like to hire on your team of animators true. that might already have another project mm-hmm. again to draw out your sequence. I mean, that's still going to cost money, but it's also going to be time because it does take so long. Yeah, that's true to make just one simple thing go, you know, like a character move, you know. Um, but, yeah.
0: Now uh, I think back to, uh, I, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was either you or Caleb. They're talking about, like, they're, uh, you know, they, they consider, anim- like, they almost don't like saying, like, animated films. Like, they just, they consider animation. Like, derogatory. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. think it's, like a, like, just from naming it that, it's almost, like, not as good as being like a live action type film sure but i think just as much thought if not more and you know time into writing the script you know whatever you're doing to put together the entire film i think it's put together and it's like yeah and i think about a amount lot, of, time a lot of the
3: films we've mentioned thus far are incredibly mature like we kind of yeah that consistent
0: but anyway yeah it's just the the nature of it you know you you almost feel like a lot of people put like a line in the sand between the two and I've always kind of wondered It's, un- that it's
1: unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I think Daniel brings up a good point. The, all the anime we've focused on today have been j- very much films for adults. Um, and, and for whatever reason, it, both in Japan and America, there's still that association with cartoons or things are drawn or are for kids. I think it's something that's rapidly changing, but I still think, even in Japan, it's something like, oh, there's, it's lesser, you know. Yeah, there's
2: still, I, it's funny, like, because over here you use the term otaku, like, people use that term to, you know, as a sense of pride and totally, you know, go for it, like, that's your thing, but it's just hilarious to me that in Japan in most circles otaku is still like a negative like connotation yeah. word of like basement dweller like neckbeard nerd like almost like <laughs> yeah. otaku in Japan is like neckbeard yeah. in the United in English basically but so it's almost, like yeah. but here it, it loses some of that connotation well cuz
1: people here like that stuff like yeah. it, it's kind of like it's like a more it's like a badass anime fan or something you know what i yeah. mean like, Totally. Yeah.
2: but yeah going back to the idea that in like, I think that's one pre- misconception that many Americans, not all, certainly not, uh, might experience when they go over to Japan is like the fact that it's like, oh, it's not just like anime all day or whatever. You <laughs> know? I'm talking about like the really, the people that don't do their homework before they go, you know, <laughs> type of people. Um, because it's still not like embraced widely yeah. as they think it may do. But women well, like, still play Pokemon you, you can the train, You so.
0: can kind of, you know, do that both ways with people that come that maybe are like I've met someone from a different country that came to Oklahoma, and he's like, "Do you drive a pickup truck?" I'm like, uh, "No." <laughs> I mean, I do live in Yukon, so it's like, well, probably not a bad guess. some utility there. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a
1: good idea if you did. So where's your cowboy hat at? Yeah, yeah. We're
0: from Oklahoma, right? You guys got gyms? I'm like, why would we not have gyms? <laughs> yeah, no, we flip tires in open fields. Oh, yeah, I'm well, it's McAdams. the crossfitters. Get yeah. go of the movies
1: in Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah.
2: I would say one thing that is a really sad stereotype, though, is someone told me of this story. They took their Japanese foreign exchange student to a gun range. Oh my. And like basically gave the kid PTSD <laughs> because they're like, "Oh, let's show you a good like a good time. You know, we're not That's like." What we do. And then the fact that the kid is like, "Yeah, the police don't have guns. It's only the bad guys that have guns. Yeah, yakuza. Yakuza. The yakuza, mafia, have gun the mafia, the mafia are the only Japan. ones that have guns
1: in Japan." <laughs> like nobody
2: else has has guns in Japan except for the the, ba- the bad know. guys. Yeah, uh, but anyway, so like the guy was scarred for life, and he's and then he like apparently really really withdrew after that. America is <laughs> all part like, of America, the. Uh, like, he scared was... the shit out of him.
0: America scares me. Oh we, yeah, I'm America. America. Yeah, yeah, totally. We do.
2: Yeah.
0: But it is funny, like especially. Well, that's not funny. But, yeah,
2: I feel sorry for the kid. Their but friends it, were dumb. you know,
0: you meet someone that's from a like a it's from a different country, and they just. It's like sometimes they've like already had their mind made up about you. Like,
2: <laughs> right. they
0: think, oh, you know, you're McDonald's eating, gun-toting, truck-driving American, aren't you? It's like, uh, no. 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 But, it, it, I mean, that's just like the uh, the human nature of it, like the egocentrism of it, you know
1: what I mean? Well, it's like you see, some, you get like first impressions, right? So your first impression, at least large in America with the Japanese culture, is anime. You're like, oh, these... Which, when we were growing up, anime was targeted at children because it was that was just cheap animation to uh, purchase and import and dub over uh, back in the '90s. So a lot of people who didn't grow up in the '90s don't, who haven't researched this, or even people who did grow up in the '90s and only have that experience, think, "Oh yeah, well, anime is a Japanese thing, so I guess all Japanese people are into anime, you know, or something along those lines." And within the cases, it's a lot like you know in America, like anim- animation here, like it's family friendly. It's Except for I would say it's like almost like less well received animation in America is. Well, I don't know. I I mean, there's
2: a right. I mean, again, going back to the Simpsons, changing everything. The Simpsons really unlocked the idea of animation for adults in prime time, and gave us obviously Family Guy, Futurama, Archer, and then of course like Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty wouldn't be a A thing thing without the Simpsons. South Park, Park, of course. So it's just like um, like animation is either. We actually talked about this very thing on my episode about the weird like transitioning daytime animation to for adult animation and how we were talking about only how Cartoon Network is the only cartoon channel that really does that well with the middle block of like regular show and adventure time, which is like stuff that adults watch and love. I love regular show and it's just like, but the fact that it's still during like a a daytime children's yeah.
0: post after school block. You well, know. Yeah, we talked about that because like uh, the role that Maguzi played. Yeah, because Maguzi is like the buffer. You, like you have like your regular like Ed and Eddie or whatever bullshit was on. Yeah, and then Maguzi is like okay, like we have some a regular stuff, stuff, but yeah. there's like some anime stuff. And then and into Toonami. tsunami. Toonami. So and that then was effectively like like that buffer to get into that anime, like that adult
1: like section. Well, I think right. I think it's I think it's pretty brilliant for what Cartoon Network did because that basically paved the way for adults embracing anime down the line, right? Right. It's like, it's like a funnel. Yeah, you start with the kids' family friendly program and it gets a little yeah. more teeny tweeny and then all of a sudden you're in adult swim territory. And it's like yeah. whoa, whoa, this, this style can actually be like, this dark or And then you have Steven or...
2: Universe, which is a show that I don't know of any children that like but only my adult friends do you know which is it's amazing show right yeah. so it's just like that has like overtones that i can't believe like you like this, and stuff. this is like this is kids watch this some children do watch this yeah. but like it's like so relevant for yeah. me and my friends so it's just really it's interesting to see like the transition of anime and animation from you know that
0: this is a kids thing This thing. is a kids thing yeah. too this is a
2: medium of storytelling for all ages including adults and solidly adult content.
0: Yeah, I think you're I I agree with you 100% cuz like you said it the exact way that I was thinking is that there was like the Simpsons was really like that turning point because up to that point there was like Looney Tunes and all that shit's really like for kids yeah Whacky,
2: the Flintstones stupid. and but then the you Jetsons. get to like that and
0: there's like some more adult themes there's like it's and especially with Steven Universe I think they probably have to owe a lot to The Simpsons too because if they hadn't been a show like that I yeah. think shows like Steven Universe like I've watched, I only watched one episode and I was just like wow like this is like an adult cartoon yeah not is. just because i'm gonna cosplay as uh, steven either but uh
2: he would do an amazing you can't see him this co- this guy could do an amazing Steven. if cosplay. steven
0: universe was a human
2: that is you just shave
0: your beard harold you're basically there <laughs> i mean uh, just
2: gotta get a giant like belly button ring yeah yeah, i already got one now
0: nice. <laughs> no, it was uh, actually uh, a guy like uh, Caleb works with Christopher. I used to work with him, an agency, and uh, he was the first guy who was like, dude, you look just like Steven Universe. He so really like, does. Who is that? So that was like the first time I ever checked it out. I was just like, this show is insane. It is yeah. insane. No. That is too funny. Well, I really appreciate you all coming out and uh, nerding out with me for a little bit here at ContemptCon. Again, shout out to Luke Atkinson for the hookup. Hopefully we can come back next year and talk about something else. That'd be yeah. fun. That's a the blast. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah. thank you. So we'll go down the horn again. You guys can plug whatever you got going on, uh, your social the channels, place. whatever you got.
1: Yeah, yeah um, so I'm Caleb Masters. I'm the editor-in-chief of TheCinematropolis.com. You can find me on Twitter at C talk. That's letter C, Masters talk. Uh, or the Cinematropolis at the Cinematrop. We actually, you know, if you if you love the, the animation talk, uh, we actually have a special screening uh, at Tower Theater on May 23rd. We are partnering with Joshua Unruh and Pulp Diction Productions. Me and him have a, our own little podcast uh, called An Animated Discussion. And we're going to be doing a screening and live podcast recording over Batman the Mask of the Phantasm. Fuck. May twenty third seventy dude. Oh, I've never seen it in a theater. I, oh I have God. either. <laughs> you I, haven't? No, because it, it's like it never played. It's one of those movies that doesn't ever like the, it's. It's been at like a, fa- a fathom event. And I missed it once. Yes, right. You know, I right.
2: almost saw it at an Alamo Draft House, but it was sold oh, out. Wow. Oh, oh man. Man. That would
1: have been that. Yeah. Been this dope. is that my been
2: second best thing
0: ever. You just all fucked up, drunk, watching Batman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You Not stop a good-
1: him, Batman! That's the Phantasm! Yeah, him, him. Batman. Uh, Yeah, I'm real excited. This is like a dream come true because this is one of my favorite Batman movies across the board. Live action, animated, doesn't matter. I think it's one of my favorite Batman movies. It's real solid. Probably the best Batman origin story movie. So. Definitely. I'm excited.
0: Check y'all it out. Come- May 23rd,
1: 7pm, Tower Theater.
0: Yeah, y'all come through for that.
2: Hex, yeah. My name's Alexander Bohannon. I also podcast on the Cinematropolis and the cinematic schematic. Um, what else is going on with me? Um, I obviously guested on your show, so I'm gonna, like, turn it right back and flip it and reverse it and plug the show that has yet to come out with my voice Ooh. on anime. Has it at this it hasn't point? Has come out yet? Yeah, yeah, it won't come out at this point. Yeah, so definitely, Time travel. everyone, tune in to, uh, to me talking about things like Code Lyoko and all of the stupid knowledge beach. I have on Yu-Gi-Oh! and <laughs> all of its franchises.
1: <laughs> you guys talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, <laughs> We did to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh on mine. I got so... to talk a
2: shit ton on Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, so We're going to have to
3: have a talk I'll, 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 okay, once this okay. thing's over. <laughs>
2: uh, Yu-Gi-Boy.
3: <laughs> solid Pegasus impression. <laughs> I'm going to follow that up. So, no, uh, I am Daniel Boekamper. I contribute to the Cinematropolis. I most recently... Uh, Examined Hierarchy and how it appears in Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson's latest film. Nice.
2: Relevant since Japan. Right, exactly. exactly,
3: Because Japan. Because Japan. There's some interesting conversations going on about that around the world, but yes, it's a great essay on hierarchy. I loved it. But uh, also, uh, World Literature Today, uh, my review of Mia and I... Literally every author I write something on, I butcher their last name.
2: Because world lit.
3: Because of world lit. But it, it is, uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, Maya Quito's, uh Woman of the Ashes. It's the first in her upcoming trilogy. Uh, I believe the actual text itself came out this month, a little bit earlier. But I wrote a review of it. Uh, in the few weeks, it will be published. Uh, so check that out. I think you can get copies at Barnes & Noble, I believe. But if not, find it online at worldliteraturetoday.org. Uh, and also, go back and check out my uh, Satoshi Kone episode with Harold. It was a lot of fun. We speak uh, heavy on paprika and paranoia agent. And then, is it too early to plug the uh, Akira no. screening? What yeah. day is that? I always forget. Oh, my God. Oh, I should know this. It's hey. <laughs> You can blame Harold, not me. It's No, we're,
0: uh, so like Daniel said, we're going to be showing um, Akira at the Tower Theater, just like... Uh, Caleb's showing Batman for the same series, but we're doing a whole theme in May. It's called Animation. And so we're just... Uh, a few of us like that do podcasts and such around the city are showing some of our favorite animated films. And so that's going to be May 16th as a Wednesday, 7 p.m. We're showing Akira at the Tower Theater.
1: Man, I can't even begin to say how exciting for that yeah. one, too. The animation, that's stellar. Good job on you guys for tracking down those rights. I know that was a whole adventure...
3: It was a lot of fun, but uh, I suspect Robot House Creative will probably have a, an exclusive poster, and then... A- Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm really just, like, digging no, no, about the poster. I, yeah. You got some more swag that Blade day, Runner too. There's the, some Blade other Runner, Runner. They've got one for, for Phantasm, too. <laughs> yeah. And also, oh. exclusive t-shirts by Avery Wilson. Wilson, as well.
2: So. Damn, son. We're it's just getting be. loaded with the swag. It's gonna
3: be legit. So. I'm
2: ready. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, thanks again, guys, uh, and as always, you can follow us on social media that's tunes tunes podcast t-u-n-e-s slash t-o-o-n-s we're on facebook instagram twitter and then you can listen to us on google play itunes wherever you listen to your podcast so thanks again thanks thanks guys Thank You.